Hello and welcome to the Sydney Environment Institute's Critical Minerals podcast series, a series that will impact what critical minerals are, why they are important and what the big issues are in mining them. My name is Susan Park. I'm a Professor of Global Governance here at the University of Sydney. I'm leading the Critical Minerals Research Project at the Sydney Environment Institute that investigates the extraction of critical minerals for a just and sustainable transition. In this episode, we will discuss what a critical mineral is, who have them, and why they are seen to be the key to fighting climate change. So one of the big questions is, what is a critical mineral and why are they important? And really what's funny about this is that it's kind of up to states as to whether or not they designate as a mineral as critical or not. So we can see that there are different critical minerals lists um, that have been identified by Australia, by Canada, by the European Union, by the United States and Japan. Each country, or in the case of the European Union, a supranational institution, identifies what is critical for their states or their institutions uh, for their own uh, economic growth and development and quite specifically critical minerals for um, national security, for energy access and also for the transition to renewable energy. So if we think about critical minerals, what we're talking about are the types of minerals that may make this critical minerals list. In Australia, we're talking about chromium, cobalt, graphite, lithium, manganese and rare earth minerals, uh, among a whole bunch of others. So Australia has a uh, high geological content for what the the government has identified as, as 26 critical minerals that are important for Australia. And of course, this is incredibly important right now, precisely because we're in a climate emergency. And this is really pushing states, all states, to transition to renewable energy. And renewable energy relies on a lot of these critical minerals. So we're talking specifically about uh, wind, uh, solar PV, and the transition to lithium-ion batteries uh, for storage, but primarily also for the shift towards electric vehicles. So the international, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has identified that states generally should um, should identify their nationally determined contributions to reducing greenhouse gas emissions in order for us to, to live in uh, a habitable planet. One of the best means to do this is through the dramatic reduction of the use of fossil fuels by transitioning to renewable energy. And mitigation measures have actually drastically improved. This is a a real success story. The IPCC has identified that there's been a dramatic reduction in the cost for solar by about 85%, wind 55%, and lithium-ion batteries at 85%. So this is really as a result of this global uptake in renewable energy, which is uh, really amazing to see. But what they've also identified is as a result of the dramatic increase, and we're talking about 10 times the amount for solar and more than 100 times for electric vehicles, is that there is now uh, a really high demand for the minerals that are necessary for Uh, for renewable energy technologies. So we can see a massive demand for processed lithium carbonate and lithium hydroxide, and that's expected to grow by 90% between 2020 and 2040. 
So what we're talking about here are minerals that are absolutely vital to this transition to renewable energy in order for the world to really to meet their nationally determined uh, contributions to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And this is really starting what many see as a sort of race for critical minerals where everyone wants to ensure they have access uh, to these minerals in order to be able to transition effectively. So why are they important? They're important clearly because they're necessary for the transition to uh, a sustainable energy. And this is also feeding into questions about national security. So the question about national security is really about dependence and reliance on supply chains. And we're going to be talking a lot more about that in the second podcast. But um, the, the geoeconomic concerns here is that a great deal of these minerals are actually coming from or processed by China. And there's a, a sort of increasing tensions between the United States and China on a whole range of issues. There have been trade wars. Uh, there's been questions about uh, about security, um, concerns over 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 Taiwan, and of course. Within this mix is a recognition that you cannot tr transition without these critical minerals. And that's raised questions about um, who should be processing the minerals and whether or not um, the world should be as dependent on China as they currently are. As a result of this, in May of this year, the United States and Australia uh, agreed to a Critical Minerals and Clean Energy Transformation Compact. And essentially what that aims to do is to try and divert dependence away from China for processing minerals for the transition. And this is an agreement which many see as a process of friendshoring, where instead of outshoring or offshoring, which is traditionally what companies have done when they want to reduce labour costs to a third country in order to be able to manufacture or process goods uh, for products, is a means of diverting away from traditional offshoring countries. So in the case of the United States, to be able to have minerals that are being processed not in China, but in, uh, in friendly countries. So that would be the friendshoring that we would see in the critical mineral space here. Of course, what this means is we do see a ratcheting up of tensions necessarily in the international space because it is a deliberate strategy to try and cut out one of the world's largest uh, largest countries, but also one of the world's last, largest producers uh, of processed minerals for, for renewable energy. And so this is obviously going to raise questions about um, whether or not this is a deliberately antagonistic strategy in the international space or whether or not the sheer demand and urgency for critical minerals means that there's um, quite enough to go around in terms of China processing for the rest of the world uh, versus, say, the G7, which is concerned about where, where critical minerals are coming from. So we can identify what they are. We can identify why they're important. We can identify the ways in which critical minerals are contributing to increasing tensions internationally. But it is also important to discuss 
how and why this contributes not only to a sustainable transition, but to a just transition. And this starts to raise really interesting questions because critical minerals are dug out of the ground in very site-specific locations, which quite often are already inhabited by Indigenous peoples or by communities. And mining takes a lot of, of effort. It takes in some countries a lot of water and it has significant impacts. What you do, for example, with the, the side effects of mining, the offcuts, the things that you don't need, um, whether or not the processes contribute to any form of toxicity in the production and, and processing process or even just in the extraction process. So when we have big discussions about how we can become a renewable energy superpower or whether or not we can transition quickly and effectively in in terms of meeting our nationally determined contributions, we also have to consider what sort of impact we are having on the communities in which the mining is taking place. And we're starting to see a lot of research now being done on the life cycle analysis of these minerals in order to create the types of renewable energy that we need. And so we can identify the ways in which the renewable energy technology is produced can actually be greener or, or less green. And so the life cycle analysis, this comes out of uh, engineering and it's quite a, um, uh, an interesting method for identifying um, just how intensive in terms of greenhouse gas emissions the production of wind turbines is or the production of solar panels. So we're getting a pretty good idea as to what sort of impacts can uh, renewable energy technology have. A lot of that is really focused on uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and I think that's really important. A lot of work that hasn't been done, which is starting to be done by social scientists, is the impact on communities and on people. And this is where we start to identify whether or not there are what we call co-benefits to communities for the transition to a sustainable future. And so sustainability doesn't always equal justice. And a lot of environmental groups are keenly attuned to, to, this, to this issue. So what we're trying to do here is to look at the ways in which the extraction of critical minerals for renewable energy is contributing to a more just world as well as a sustainable one. So justice can have a pretty big uh, a pretty long shadow, if you like, of trying to identify who is affected by mining and who benefits from it. In Australia, we often talk about justice being in relation to employment. And obviously, mining communities, employment is a really big issue. But we also need to consider whether or not there are any benefits that are flowing to other stakeholders within Australia. And that's not just talking about on whose land the mining is taking place and when if, whether or not there are benefits that accrue to traditional landowners, but also questions about whether or not mining companies are paying taxes for the ability to, uh, to mine in Australia. So big questions about justice, big questions about the way in which we extract minerals the way in which we export them for processing, 
what sort of potentials we have for processing them here in Australia, given the geoeconomic tensions that we've talked about, and whether or not this will provide a benefit to the average Australian. So questions about justice really do get to the heart of decisions that are made by the Australian government, by other governments, and in compacts like the one between Australia and the United States to create a just and a sustainable transition. In terms of the opportunities for Australia to become a critical minerals powerhouse, we can absolutely identify that Australia has a significant number of critical minerals that are necessary for the transition. This means that there is a point in time right now to take advantage of the benefits that we have here in Australia. Australia certainly can become a critical minerals powerhouse. It is definitely up to the Australian government, it's up to um, civil society and NGOs to continue to push to make sure that this does provide benefits to the Australian people, it does provide benefits in terms of reducing greenhouse gases, and it can provide the benefits that we need to see in terms of communities that are directly affected by the extraction of critical minerals. In the next episode, we'll hear from Leanne Sinclair and learn about the global production networks of critical minerals and why this is now a hot-button issue. This series is produced by the Sydney Environment Institute, a world-leading environmental research institute at the University of Sydney. This series is part of a critical minerals research project funded by the Sydney Environment Institute, the Australian Research Council and the Canadian Humanities and Social Sciences Research Council to investigate the extraction of critical minerals for a just and sustainable energy transition. Stay informed about critical environmental research by subscribing to the SEI podcast series on your favourite podcast app and learn about the greatest challenges of our time.